is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 506, recorded on Tuesday, November the 17th, 2020. Thanks for joining us, everyone, including you, Jason. How's it going this week? Oh, it's going okay. Everything's pretty hunky, pretty dory. A little hunky, a little dory. A little John Dory. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't, didn't even mean that, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's it works. Uh, all right, hunky and or dory. That's perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, we are here today, of course, to discuss the latest episodes of Fear the Walking Dead, which would be episode six of season six, and the latest episode of The Walking Dead World Beyond, that would be episode seven of season one. And the only thing I want to do before we dive into these episodes today is to just get caught up on the ratings from last week. So as we know, World Beyond is, um coming in under a million these days, mm-hmm. you know, setting, setting records for the lowest rated Walking Dead TV show uh, ever aired. And last week's episode called Shadow Puppets got uh, 0.73 million viewers. That's 730,000 people. Yeah, it's down 10,000 from the week before that. Only 10,000. I mean, that's barely a drop in the bucket, but... They don't even know that. You They're know, guessing. <laughs> I guess. How do you track that? You can't track that. Well, somehow they figure it out. And, and like I've said before, this doesn't include the numbers that uh, uh, watch it uh, taped. What do you call it? Not taped. Like recorded DVR. and walked, watched later. Yeah. Uh, or, or at <laughs> online sources, things like, like that. Oh, yeah. People still do that. <laughs> <laughs> what? Record things and watch them later? DVR. Yeah. I mean, I have a DVR. Uh, we have a, a, you know, a very low level cable package and a DVR and we've had it for three years, two years. I don't think we've ever recorded anything on it. How come you have a cable package still? Uh, Jenny likes to watch the news. I mean, that's all streaming now anyways. Live TV. We're not using it a whole lot. I think it's a complete waste of time, money, effort, and stupid noises because it sits on the thing and makes dumb noises. (laughs) All right. Well, (laughs) as long as you think that, that's... That's all I'm worried about. Yeah. Uh, Fear the Walking Dead last week, the episode Honey, had uh, 1.24 million, and that's down about 40,000 from the week before. So still tracking over a million, but, you know, not exactly uh, anything to write home about. Uh, or talk about it on a podcast. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not. Well, you're at home anyway, so who are you, you going to write to? Yeah, good point. Good point. So that's where those are standing, and um, we don't have any listener feedback to do this week, at least not at this moment. So let's start by getting into Fear the Walking Dead, Season 6, Episode number 6, called Bury Him Next to Jasper's Leg. Yep. I mean, Jasper is your son's name, as a lot of listeners know, and this episode really didn't have anything to do with this title it was it was a line in the episode in the cold open and then it had no bearing on the rest of it no it it's a funny name is what they what they tried to do like jasper that the feeling they were going for was old timey 
right? Because they're old, kind of old timey people saying uh-huh. old timey things. Hey, didn't we bury Jasper's leg over there? Why the fuck would somebody bury somebody's leg? Just the leg? Yeah. Just the leg. It's just, you're living in the zombie apocalypse. You just toss it out the window, right? <laughs> the only place you don't toss it is someplace that Jasper's going to regularly go because nobody wants to watch their own legs rot on the side of the road. No. That's a guess, right? I've only known two people that have had amputated legs and I can't imagine either one wanting to watch them rot. No, probably not. No. (laughs) So, uh, in that sense, you know, bury it, but really Jasper, do you care that much about your leg that you need to, well, maybe he buried it. I don't know. Anyway, it, it just, I think the whole point was we need an old timey name. And Jasper was the old timey name they went with. Do you consider your, the name an old timey name considering you chose it for your son? Not anymore. It's not a, it's either an old timey name or it's a young kid name. Okay. Oddly enough, he's not the only Jasper in his school or the old, the old school he was at had, there was another Jasper. So it's coming back. It's not uh, popular yet, but I figure in the next 10 years, it'll become more and more popular. Oh, so you're ahead of the curve. You've started the trend is what you've done here. I think so. Nice. Nice. All right. Well, that's good. It's a good name, um, but uh, anyways, in the show, it was a throwaway name at the, for the cold open, and we didn't have to worry about it after that. And we never saw Jasper. No. No. He was not important to the episode. But what is important is that they started off the ep- episode talking about an amputation. Uh, yeah, that is a good point. They started off talking about an amputation, and it, it actually came up in both episodes this week, I think. It did. Right? It did. It did in uh, World Beyond. It did come up as well. Yeah, which which makes me think that this isn't an accident. Like, I have a feeling that they're doing this to remind us viewers of certain things, right? Like, amputating something in fear was, uh, you know, or not fear, or which one? Yeah, amputating something in fear was <laughs> important. I'm getting confused already between the episodes. Um, but you know, why, why bring it up in the other show? I think it's just to like, keep them, keep them connected a little bit and make sure viewers aren't forgetting things. Maybe. I think it's a coincidence between shows. It's a coincidence. This discussion of the amputation at the beginning of this episode is not. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that the, uh, I think that between the two shows talking about amputations is, uh, is a coincidence. I mean, we've had amputations before, right? Sure. Yeah. Uh, a few times now. So I don't, it's nothing new in the Walking Dead universe. Uh, so anyway, I just, like, cause it, it, the context of it being brought up in the, in the world beyond, and we'll get to that is completely different than this. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, coincidence maybe, but is it a coincidence that they air on the same night, the two episodes? I, I'm not sure that's a coincidence. You know what I mean? I think that the level of coordination between the two shows to have that happen, uh, I don't think that they knew that these two episodes were going to air on the same night when they were written. No, you never know though. I mean, Gimple is supposed to be running all of this, you know, and have a hand in all of it. He's got other things to think about. Jesus, he's got to figure out where all the couches are going to come from, right? (laughs) I don't know, man. Currently the worst show, the worst Walking Dead show on TV is World Beyond. And that is the one that he is spending most of his time on, from what I've heard. If, if you recall, Jason, when Fear the Walking Dead was the worst Walking Dead show on TV last year, that was the show that Scott Gimple was spending the most of his time on. 
when The Walking Dead was the worst it was ever in season seven and eight, that was when Scott Gimple was spending most of his time on that show. I'm not sure that is a coincidence anymore. I think that is a pattern. Hmm. He probably is able to talk his way out of it. So, I mean, it, it also has to do with data points, right? You have one data point, so he is the, at the helm of a show that is getting crappy. That's just a, you know, it's a thing. Whereas when you have two data points, now he moves on to Fear the Walking Dead and it's the worst show on. You know, it's kind of like, well, you know, it could happen. But now we've got three data points. Mm-hmm. You plot three data points on a graph, you could draw a fucking line. <laughs> like you had the first two data points, sure, you could draw a line, but one of them could be anomalous, right? And you could be, that line basically means nothing. But you have three data points, you draw a line that kind of intersects those three lines, those three points, and uh, you got yourself a graph. Yes, you do. Right? So now there's a graph. There's three data points now. So uh, yeah, he's in charge. And uh, what I was going to say is he's like the eye of Sauron. Whatever he looks at, is in trouble. <laughs> it seems like that might be the case. I didn't mean to to uh, go off on a tangent on Scott Gimple, but this is something I've been thinking about for a little while now, that that seems to show a trend of him moving from show to show to show. There seems to be a correspondence there between the quality of the show, but, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's, there's a lot of other factors, so maybe it's not just him. Uh, but anyways, we're supposed to be talking about fear, and yep. I wanted to start just with really quickly mentioning the title screens of Fear this this episode because each or this season each episode is different and it's got the familiar Fear theme song that we've had for a couple of years now uh, but there are these really cool title screens that have a silhouette of one of the characters who features prominently in that episode and it's never unclear who it is uh, and, and sometimes they're holding like a weapon or something, you know, uh, you know, Alicia has that signature weapon, the one, <laughs> the one with strand, he was holding a bucket of crap, which I thought was funny because <laughs> it was the episode where he throws a bucket of crap on the dude or, or they're dumping them out at the beginning. Uh-huh. A- and, uh, I just wanted to call them out because I think they've all been really cool and I think they look good and, and whatever, whoever idea that was, that's an idea I can get behind because I think it's great. Excellent. I never noticed. What? You didn't notice the title screens? No, I noticed the title screens, but I didn't, it didn't register as, hey, these are cool. Oh. Until you mentioned it. All right. Well, I thought they were pretty cool. Okay. So bury him next to Jasper's leg. This episode is all about June and Virginia for the most part. Of course, there's a, there's a, uh, important plot line and development between, uh, June and John as well. Um, it, uh, it starts out with, well, we get June and Sarah out in the field, right? And they're working on a guy who needs his appendix out. Uh-huh. So clearly they've been working for Ginny as like doctors on the road, mobile doctors, I guess. And I actually liked this scene. I liked the way this scene played out. It was, it was kind of fast moving, a little bit intense. It gave us... It gave me a good idea of what they've been doing and, you know, I think what the shortcomings would be of trying to do surgery in the back of a truck <laughs> all, all over the place. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, uh, you win some, you lose some kind of comes to mind. But, uh, you know, if you're doing surgery in the back of a truck, uh, you're going to lose more than you win. I would think so. Yeah. 
But I, I, June and Sarah have never been my two favorite characters on this show, to be honest with you. But I really liked both of them here. Um, I liked the dynamic they had. And as, as I said, it gave us a good look into what uh, Ginny has had them doing for a little while, I think. So, you know, the poor dude didn't survive. But, you know, taking a, an appendix out on a stretcher in the back of the truck in the zombie apocalypse, when you've never really done it before, probably not going to go so well. Yeah, how hard could it be? Well, I bet you pretty hard. Well, there was a, there was one surgeon who did his own uh, appendis, append, appendioscopy. What's it called? Appendectomy. Appendectomy. That's that's the word. He did his own. He had uh, there was nobody else qualified. I forget what kind of dire straits he was in, but uh, uh, what he had was a local anesthetic and a mirror, and uh, he did his own surgery. Oh my God! Was was that in a movie? Was that like, who was like a guy was up in a remote like Arctic research station and he and he yeah, had I a, think appendicitis. That sounds familiar, Arctic Research Station, but that, that happened in real life. Wow. Like, a real dude did that. Then there was this lady who gave, who did her own C-section. That's a whole other thing. Jesus. <laughs> anyway, me, I, I, I would just die. Like, I would, I, it's not just, and I'm not speaking hyperbolically, it would just be, it would be if I was in a situation like that where my life was on the line and I had a choice between, you know, doing emergency surgery with, you know, blunt tools and mirrors or dying. I'd probably die. I'd, I'd say 100%. <laughs> like that guy who got his arm stuck in the rock in 127 hours? Uh-huh. That, I wouldn't have survived that fucking situation. No Even way. Even if I had the proper tools, I don't think I could bring myself to cut through my own goddamn arm. Sorry, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so either. That would be pretty crazy, but I don't know. The will I'm, to survive must be pretty strong. Yeah. I mean, there's that too, right? It's yeah. just like, well, what choice do you have? at that point. Right. You know? So anyway, uh, if somebody dies on your operating table, put a, put a, put a knife through his head. Like Mm -hmm. we all knew he was coming back. I knew you knew everybody else knew June knew. Uh I don't understand why she wasn't figuring it out sooner. Oh, he died on the operating table while I was cutting his belly. Oh, well, I'll just put my hand in your mouth. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. You know, I like, know. Fucking he, take care of it. He came back pretty quick though. Now. Well, everybody in this episode came back pretty goddamn quick. I, I know the show, all the shows play a little fast and loose with the speed that it takes for someone to come back. Right. It's changed over the years. But we knew that going in, right? We, I think we had, uh, somebody, um, say that the, the speed at which people come back is not going to be set. It's not always going to be quick. It's not <laughs> always going to be clo- uh, slow. It's going to be variable and it depends on a bunch of stuff and we're never going to track it. Right. So we know that, but it just happens to be in this episode. Everybody came back quick. There were no slow pokes. No slow pokes. Well, that can happen. That can happen. So anyways, I like that, that scene. Um, but the bulk of this episode revolves around this disaster at Tank Town, right? Where mm. the oil explodes, it's, it's raining down, people are injured and the team goes in on a rescue mission, essentially. And the team is June and John and Sarah, uh, and, and for the most part, and then Virginia and her cronies show up too. Um, and June and Virginia end up trapped in there while most of the rest of the group has gotten out. And then stuff happens. And uh, ultimately they survive, but uh, Virginia gets bit in the hand. And she has to have her hand amputated. 
yeah, I thought, you know, if as soon as she got bit in the hand, I'm like, yeah, oh, they're just going to cut it off. Yeah. I was so excited because I thought maybe she was going to die, but then I realized, oh, it's on her hand. Yeah. She doesn't need that. No, she doesn't need a hand. We all know this show, you know, has characters that don't need hands, or at least this comic book does. Anyways. Okay. It was her right hand. That's, that's, that's significant, right? She's right-handed. I guess. I don't know for sure, but why not? That's her shooting hand. Yeah. That means she's going to be nicer now. <laughs> she can't shoot a gun anymore, or at least not with her good hand. That's, that's the way it works. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose. So let's talk about them first uh, in terms of, you know, notable things from this episode. So she gets her hand bit and June actively, although she doesn't want to at first, saves her life by chopping it off with an axe. But that is on the promise from Virginia to build June a hospital to help her save more people. And that's why we had the truck thing at the beginning because they're not effective working in a truck. They're going to actually build a hospital and work there, which is going to hopefully be better for saving people. But what do you think, Jason? Should June have let her die and or did you expect her to or did you expect her to save her? I expected June to save her. Um, I did not expect her to die. If she had bitten, been bitten on the shoulder or in the chest or the neck, I would have expected her to die. But getting, you know, explicitly bitten on the hand, uh, I knew full well exactly what was going to happen. And even with the con- when the conflict started with her and, and, and June, I knew that it would ultimately end up with June cutting off her hand and saving her life. From the but point- that's just because... From the point that she got bit, you, you were like hand, so that's easy to yeah. chop off. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I knew that I knew what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I would have done would have been slightly different. It wouldn't have even have been, no, I'm not giving you the ax. It would have been, yeah, lie down here. Let me, uh, let me cut off that hand and then put the ax in her head. Right. It's just Ooh. when you raise the ax, you just go, boink. It's like, you know, situation over. Yeah. Well. <laughs> but that's, but that's me. Yeah. That's you. Of course. <laughs> See, I, I was, um. I was pretty sure she wasn't going to die, although part of me was hoping that June would do it. Like, I thought that would be a pretty uh, amazing decision for the show, right? I mean, something would have been unexpected. But the reason I thought she wasn't going to die is because just in the last episode, was it the last one? Um, You know, Dwight and Sherry have that plan to lure Ginny to them and then kill her. And it didn't happen. It didn't work, right? Yeah. And and their that group's entire goal is to kill Virginia and you know disband her communities. So why are they in the show if Virginia's just going to be killed off the next episode in a completely unrelated way? I, also, I don't yeah. think that would have made any sense for the story here. That is also much true. Yeah. So. I was thinking along those lines when I saw this, uh, and, and the only way to save her is to chop the hand off. So it kind of makes sense that that's exactly what happened, but I still enjoyed the scene quite a bit. I thought again, I thought that first of all, kudos to all the actors in this entire tank tone scene. It looked miserable, just being super dirty, covered in oil, gross the whole time. It looked miserable and they were there for a long time. It seemed like so good on them for, for doing that. But I thought this scene was great too. Um, the the dynamic between these two characters was really good. In fact, for the whole episode, right? Because even before they got trapped, 
uh, there was a lot of conflict between June and Virginia in that Virginia was trying to question the people who were injured. She didn't want to treat them or she didn't want June to treat them before they gave her some answers, you know, about, um, well, about who was spray painting the, the end is the beginning messages. And there were scenes where June really kind of stood up to her and said, you can't do this. And eventually just kind of went around, well, <laughs> over her helmet, as I like to say, which is a Spaceballs reference, uh, and injected Wes with the, with the medicine that he needed, you know, while she was torturing him. And I liked all that. And I thought that was an interesting dynamic between this hero and this villain, right? Like on The Walking Dead, our, our good guys have been so um, afraid of our, our villains at times, right? Like so under their thumb in a way that this was a scene where June stands up to her, doesn't listen to her, isn't afraid of the consequences of acting at that moment. Yeah, you're talking about in the uh, in the barn specifically, or well, I'm just talking like, yeah, before the before the explosion, before they're trapped in there together, right? They're trying to get Wes out, and Virginia's questioning him and like poking him in the wound, and he's screaming and he's in pain, and she's she's making June wait to inject him with that stuff that he needs that's gonna help. Um, yep. But June doesn't wait. Ultimately, she she stands there for a second and then does it anyway. Which, like, if you did that in front of Negan, you get your head bashed in. A hundred percent, you know? Well, it depends, but you, you definitely get a hot iron to the face. Something like that. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So but he doesn't kill, you know, Negan didn't kill unless he needed to make a point to other people. Right. So just standing up to him is not necessarily the way to get killed. It's a it's a way to get a hot iron to the face. Maybe. But I don't think it's necessarily a way to get killed. But I think, you know, uh, Ginny, as she came in, was the biggest asshole imaginable. Right. It was just like, uh, you know, I have to get my people out. It's like, oh, I think they're all our people. It's like, well, this is a no perfect opportunity to make that fucking point, you jerk. Uh, so yeah. it just, and then, you know, refusing to evacuate people or rescue them until they've been questioned. Uh, it, you know, from a, I'm not sure that makes sense in anybody's perspective, right? So you're in a dire situation, okay? You've got a fucking, uh, an oil rig that is spewing oil all over the place. And we all know what that goddamn well means. Uh, if, if that fucking thing catches fire, you're never putting it out. Like no. it's never going out. And there's shit on fire everywhere, everywhere. And it's raining goddamn oil, right? So let's go in there and spend some time asking people questions. No, if you want to ask them questions, you put them on a goddamn gurney and you get them the fuck out of there. Yeah. And then you ask them questions when you're not being rained on by oil in uh, an enclosed, relatively enclosed area where a lot of shit's on fire. Yeah. Well, but Virginia's thinking is I'm going to extract information from these people in exchange for saving them, but you got to give me the information before I save you. She's, she's trying to use their lives against them. Really? Right. It, yeah. It's a, it's the dumbest idea imaginable. Well, yeah, sure. But in the moment she seems to think it's, it's going to work, but it doesn't because nobody tells her anything. And what she's doing is she's accusing uh, Wes of being one of the spray painting people who are spray painting that message all over the place because when they show up at Tank Down, big letters on one of the tanks or whatever it is says the end is the beginning. And so this group is kind of, I think, unknown to Virginia and a threat to them or she perceives them that way. And she's trying to find out information about them, which we don't 
get the feeling that she has. And we as the audience don't really have yet either. Cause all we've seen is those two guys who Morgan killed. Right. So, um, I find that interesting. They're clearly going to, um, play a bigger role in this show. Uh, maybe the sub that they were painting on in the first episode has nothing to do with anything. And the message is what's important, not the submarine. <laughs> I, I'm starting I sure to, as hell hope not. Yeah, but I'm starting to get that feeling, to be honest with you, but I, I don't really know. Oh, it's like they're spray painting a message on an, uh, a gigantic alien and the alien's not important. It's like, yes, the alien's fucking important. Uh, you know, explain that at some point. I, I, you would want them to, you would think, right? But. You know, I'm not so sure. The message is what's come back numerous times, not information about the sub. I do think we'll find out why it's there, what it's doing there, where it is. But I really think that this end is the beginning, is the more important thing. At least that's what the show looks like it's going for. I don't know. The one thing that made me think that Ginny actually knows more about these people than she's let on is that as they come into Tanktown, June asks about what it means and I think it's when they're coming in. Maybe it's a, maybe it's after. But anyways, June asks what it means, and Virginia says to her, "We'll talk." Or maybe right. yeah, maybe that's when she's uh, had her hand cut off. Anyways, it implies that she knows something and she wants to talk about it later. Yeah, and now that Ginny has her hand cut off, uh, she's much more sympathetic, right? Like we right. we now have emotions for her. She has been through a bad situation. Uh, she got out of the bad situation through the kindness of one of our intrepid heroes. Mm -hmm. And now, and she's given, uh, given in to some concessions. And, uh, the first thing she wanted to do was to hear her sister's voice. Mm Ah, -hmm. oh, isn't that sweet? So she's now a likable character, right? Before up, right up until the point that they cut off her hand, uh, she was very unlikable and the biggest asshole imaginable. Now. She has turned that corner. I don't know if she's completely likable yet, but she has turned the corner to at least a uh, conflicted anti-hero. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. I'm going to read an email here from a listener, Amy, in Indy, and she kind of gets to that at the end of the message. There's stuff before that, but she says, I know I've said it before, but the season one hanger-ons on this show, Hem, Strand, and Alicia, need to exit. Daniel can stay, but the episode with Strand and Alicia was terrible. I felt like I was watching a school play. I really liked the last episode with Mo, June, and John. Well acted and fun to watch. At first I was pissed because I thought June and John were determined to stay together and off he goes. But then I started thinking about the year 2020 and what it has been like to be an American, social worker, spouse, child of elder elderly parents with dementia, liberal, patriot. And I started to understand that feeling of oppression and despair that makes you feel like a trapped animal. I enjoyed the scene between Virginia and June, and I buy into June's need to save her and put Virginia in her debt. So we'll talk about John and June in a minute, but um, the idea of having Virginia sort of indebted to June for saving her life, I think is important to the show now, right? Not only does it make Virginia a little bit likable because she's a little bit more human and wants to be with her sister, she owes a life debt to June for saving her too. Yeah, that that could go either way. Like I, I think that uh, Virginia is likable now, and she has turned that likability corner, mm -hmm. uh, if that's such a thing. But I don't know if it's necessarily related to being in June's debt because a an evil person, 
or somebody who is uh, <sighs> demented or, you know, just somehow wants to, is conflicted and wants to hurt other people, when they get into someone's debt, that makes them want to hurt that person. Hmm. So it's not necessarily, not, it's not a, I'm in your life debt and uh, I now owe you a debt and I, uh, and you save my life. I now want to repay that with kindness. I don't think that's a thing. I think it's a thing for people who are honorable and who are uh, nice to begin with. I don't know if it's a thing for people who are, uh, you know, quote unquote evil. Sure. I think that kind of makes it turn the other way. It's like, well, fuck you. I'm not going to be in your goddamn debt. I'm just going to kill you. And then the debt, you know, debt's paid. Yeah. But I wonder what the show is doing. Like, are they going to try to tell us that Virginia isn't actually evil, that maybe she is an okay person with good intentions, just going about it the wrong way? I don't know. Well, she's been saying that since the beginning. I'm a good person. Yeah. I, I, we know we're on the same team here. I want to save as many people as I can. Except for the people that have information that I want, and I will torture them until they give it to me and threaten them with violence. Or the ones that run away, I will hunt them down and kill them. And then I will hunt them down and kill them if they run away. Yeah. You know, if you love something, let it go. If it comes back, it's yours. If it doesn't, hunt it down and kill it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That seems to be her MO. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we'll have to see. Uh, But it does create an interesting dynamic between those two, and um, it was fun to watch, I got to say. Now, John and June, so that was the other big thing in this episode. They have a discussion about running away. Speaking of running away, uh, John's got a whole plan. He thinks they can get to his cabin, you know, mostly by car. And uh, I don't know why he doesn't think that Ginny will come after him and find him, but maybe he feels like they can get enough of a head start that she won't know where to go. But they agree to do this. Then the Tank Town thing happens. And... Coming out of Tank Town, June's now got her hospital, and she doesn't want to leave anymore. Yeah, well, she's, you know, yeah. I don't understand this, uh, you know, June's going to hunt us down and kill us uh, kind of mentality. It's, uh, you know, if you have resources and you can get away quick enough, she can't go after you. She can't chase every single person down. That takes a lot of resources and a lot of uh, determination determination in order to, to hunt everybody down. Yeah. So what you do is you get five or six people to all run away. You know, she can't catch them all. She probably <laughs> won't catch any of them. In different directions. <laughs> in different directions. Everybody's scattered. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So uh, there's other things going on. There's this tank town thing. There's the spray paint people. There's the, the face mask people. Uh, you know, June's got some shit going on on a few different fronts here. Uh she doesn't have time to chase everybody down. No. And I think John knows that. And I think also he is, he feels like he's capable enough that he can get far enough away in short enough amount of time. Because like with Janice and Cameron, right, they were slowly stockpiling things, sneaking in and out, and they were working up to running away, but it got found out, you know, before they even took a step. So that's different. In this case, John Dory and June would hop in a car and drive a hundred miles. And if yeah. Ginny doesn't know what way they've gone, what's she going to do? Right? She can't. It's very hard to track a car on a highway. Yeah, absolutely. You, know, you can't. You can't stop and you know go. Okay, they moved this bush aside. We should get the hound dog to smell the bush to see if it was them. Or oh, look, these are fresh car tracks on this highway. 
<laughs> you know, no. it's, it's very difficult to do that. So, you know, you, you get on a road, you drive for a while, you're gone. Right. So, so I think it was an okay plan knowing that, and they were going to do it, but now June gets her hospital. She feels like she can really help people, but John's got to go. And so he's in a car by himself at the end of the episode. And as the truck with June in it pulls one way, he goes the other way and they go their separate ways. Like, first of all, I loved the overhead shot of the road splitting and one car, one vehicle going one way and the other going, you know, the other way. Yeah. But pretty devastating, pretty sad to see these two who have just been reunited. Um, you know, John is so upset. He decides to leave and go anyways. And yeah. pretty big deal, I think, right? Like he's, he's on his own now and she's going to find out next week that he didn't follow them back to base. Yeah. If that's actually what happens, right? I, you know, I have my doubts. That he's actually leaving? That he's actually leaving. Yeah. Okay. Give it, he'd give, it's John Dory. He's going to give it one more chance. He's going to try and make June, uh, come with him. He's, he's not just going to give up and go. It's like, oh, I didn't work out. Fuck it. I got him out of here. That's not, that's not John Dory's style. He loves June. He's going to, uh, he's not going to leave without her. He'll stick by her. Yeah. Uh, whether, she, you know, she wants to go or not. So I don't think, I have a hard time believing that he's just going to take off. I agree with you totally on that, but I do think he's going to be gone for a while. Like, I don't think he's immediately next week coming back and trying to talk her into going again because he knows she doesn't want to leave now. She wants to help people in her hospital. So right. my feeling is he's going to end up with Morgan, of course, and get settled into Morgan's little damn community. And then later on down the road, the rest of the characters are going to be reunited with them. And that's when we'll have our true John and June reunion once and for all for good. And they'll live happily ever after. Until next time. Until next time. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Got it. <laughs> right. I thought it was sad. I thought it was pretty sad when he turned off and, you know, after all that. So, you know, I just take it on face value. That's what the show wanted me to think. Yes. But I believe in John Dory. Okay. Very good. Um, the one other thing I just wanted to mention here that I thought the show did right was when June comes back and she's telling Luciana, who we haven't seen in a long time. She was in this episode. Mm -hmm. Exciting. But she's telling her and Sarah in the back of the, uh, the truck about the hospital and how she saved Ginny's life. They question her. They are like, what the hell were you doing? Why would you not kill her? She, you, you ax her in the head and all of our problems go away. Yet you saved her life. And I was a little worried that she'd walk out of there and everyone would just ignore that fact. I'm glad they included that scene in the episode because it makes sense. They would have come around her going, what the hell? You know, you had your chance. Why didn't you take it? Yeah, but it's June, right? Her, she wants to save people. That's why she's out here. That's why she's doing this. If she could save somebody, uh, or if she needed to save somebody in order to save other people, I mean, she'll save them. If she needed to kill somebody in order to save other people, that'd be a dilemma. But this was save somebody's life in order to be able to save other people's lives. It was a win-win situation for, uh, for June. No, I get it totally for June. It's just that it's, I think it would be difficult for all the other characters to, to see that. And I'm glad they had them question her, right? She okay. had, she had her good reason. 
hospital saving people, you know, this and that. Um, but I, but I, I understand the idea that, that the other characters might be like, what the hell are you doing? So it seemed, uh, honest or realistic to me that they would question her. Yeah. But the other characters also know June, right? They know what she would, that she would try and save Ginny. Well, I don't know. I mean, had the hospital not been on the table, I think she wouldn't have saved her. Like, she wasn't going to originally, right, in that scene? No, she said she wasn't going to. I don't know if she was actually not going to. <laughs> Maybe not. Right? It's just like, I don't know if I should uh, save you. You're a bad person. But, uh, you know, there's that internal struggle that's always going on in everybody. Uh, I think she would have relented whether the hospital was on the table or not. Okay. I guess a lot of people would, probably. You know, murder someone, save their life. It should be an easy decision. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's June that would, you know, would want to save somebody's life. And then there's me that would be like, yeah, put, uh, you know, face down. It'd be a whole lot easier for me to cut your hand off face down. And then you just whack them in the back of the head. Yeah. It's all over. But, you know, it's actually uh, very difficult to do. I don't know. Oh, sorry. Wrong universe. Uh, their heads are very soft. Here, our heads, you know, it's really kind of stupid that our brains are stuck in our head that is like, you know, extended away from the rest of our body and not protected in the center of our chests like they fucking well should be. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, realistically, the skulls of ours, pretty hard to get through. Yeah. Like it's, you know, people can take an ax to the head and it would hurt, but you don't necessarily just cut the fucking skull wide open. No. It, like it's got to be perfect and it's got to be. Uh, it's got to be a perfect shot because it'll just deflect off because their heads are round. I don't know if you know that. Not everybody's heads are round. Mine has a flat spot on the top, but most people's heads are round. And uh, if you don't hit them just right with that uh, axe blade, it'll just deflect off. It'll carve a whole bunch of fucking skin and hair and stuff off, but oh. bleed like a motherfucker. Anyway, sorry, am I being too graphic? <laughs> I'm just, uh, I'm not sure we need to. Uh... <laughs> yeah, we, this is a weird tangent we've gone on. Get into the details of how an axe anyway. glances off someone's head if you don't hit it. This is all great. speculation. Uh-huh. Based so. on uh, previous head wounds I've seen from uh, friends that have gotten in fights. Because oh my they're God. fucking idiots when they're drunk. Of course. <laughs> all right, then. Well, uh, yeah, heads are hard. Um, yeah. June didn't have to find out. No, she didn't. But not in their universe. In their universe, they're made out of fucking Play-Doh and Nerf. <laughs> It right? is true. Yeah. Nice. She could have used she could have used a a dull uh stick. She could have used a drumstick and stabbed her in the head. I mean, that's what Morgan would have done, right? Take a drumstick and just kind of stab people in the head with it and kill them immediately. Yeah. Well, he's a stick man. Yeah. Okay. Well, I liked this episode a lot. Another good one. I think season six of Fear has been pretty great so far. Uh I don't think this one had any real impact on the greater Walking Dead universe, but Lots of impact on its own little story right now. Oh yeah, Bartertown is done, right? Like they're they don't get any more gas. That's right. right? They don't. The whole have thing's gas. on fire. They're not putting that thing out. No. You know how hard it is to put out those fires? I don't think they have the dynamite or the uh, the technology to do it. I don't think so either. And 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 I think it was Luciana in this episode said this could burn for years. Like yeah, it's a, yeah, it's like a tire fire. Yeah, in the other episode. It's just you know those things light up and they go for a long time. Well, you're right. No more gas. So they can't, so they're going to have to ease off on driving cars to, uh, come in upcoming episodes because they're not refueling them the same way. 
Yeah. See, now this is what John Dory's thinking, mm-hmm. right? Now the, the, the gas source is gone, but I've got all these, uh, you know, canisters of gas yep. that are ready to go. I just wait until everybody else runs out of gas and then we get in a car and drive at 40 miles an hour, <laughs> right? You can't catch up to somebody driving 40 miles an hour. No. A horse maybe very quickly. I don't know how fast horses run, but I can't imagine they would keep up at 40 miles an hour. Not for very for long. Very, very, yeah, for any length of time. Nope. So see, this is what John Dory's doing. I think he's, he's considering that very angle. Well, he's a genius, that guy. Yep. He knows what he's doing. All right, one more email here before we move on. Gemma in South Wales wrote, I love this week. I'm glad they focused on June's story more and gave a bit of depth to Ginny's backstory. People are comparing her to Negan, and I can see that her style is similar. However, I totally got what she said this week. Everything she has done is to uh, keep Dakota safe. I didn't agree with her poking poor Wes in his wound, but her purpose behind it is that she wants to find out who sabotaged the oil refinery because they are obviously dangerous people and a threat to her society and her sister's survival. When Negan ruled in a dictator-like style, he had absolutely nothing to lose. He had already lost everything. I think he did want to save people, but he went around or he went about it the wrong way. For Ginny, she has built these communities up from the ground in order to protect her sister. Her methods are wrong sometimes, but I'm starting to see her intentions. When she got bit, I gasped and was like, oh my God, she's been bit. I bet a lot of people are frustrated that June chopped off her hand, but we must remember who June is, a nurse who has sworn an oath to no harm, and she was also a mother who lost a daughter she couldn't save. She empathized with Ginny in that moment. I am sad about John's decision in the end, but I don't think he'll stay away long. He's torn right now. Four out of five chopped off hands for me. So, uh, <laughs> like you and Gemma are on the same page here, man, I would I say think so. just with, with all her points, but, um, good summary of things. Thank you, Gemma for that. Perfect. All right, people, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about the walking dead world beyond episode seven, truth or dare. Welcome back to the program, everybody. Before we get into The Walking Dead World Beyond, I want to take a minute to thank everyone who has contributed to the podcast recently. Uh, And there's a bunch this week. So a big thank you to Franca M., who became a new patron on Patreon. Also Donna, who adjusted her pledge on Patreon. Thank you, Donna, for that. Arcana P. became a new uh, patron on Patreon as well. I hope I've got that name correct. Um, but, uh, they sent a message too, saying, love your podcast. I watch all the walking dead shows just to hear your take on them. Love listening to you guys talk about walking dead fear and the new one and everything in between. Keep up the good work. 
Thank you to all of you guys for becoming new patrons. And one more, John Zed. I'll say Zed because I'm Canadian, but it's probably John Z. I don't know where he's from, though. Who knows? But he became a, uh, or he made a contribution via PayPal, which is also greatly appreciated. So thank you to all of you for doing that. If you would like to become a patron, visit patreon.com slash thetalkingdead, and you can make a small pledge like any of these people, uh, which really goes a long way and helps a great deal in the costs we're putting on the show. Um, or, like John did, you can make a one-time contribution through PayPal by going to talkingdeadpodcast.com slash PayPal and doing it that way. Uh, thanks so much, everyone who listens and everyone who contributes. We really, really appreciate it. Okay, let's jump into World Beyond Episode 7, Truth or Dare. Uh, Jason. Yes, my son. What did you think just overall of this episode of World Beyond? Well, Christopher, it was about what I expected. Mm-hmm. Okay, which was? <laughs> I did not like it. Uh... I was annoyed by it most of the time. There was an interesting twist that um, I found interesting. I don't know if that's redundant. <laughs> Maybe a kind little. circular. <laughs> Maybe a little. Yeah. Uh, but that's about it. I thought it was, uh, and the ending was kind of like, what the hell? Okay. So that might be, uh, uh, yeah, we'll talk about it. Well, but I, I, I guess it's about what I expected, but there were some things that I was not expecting. Okay, so I was hoping you were going to say that, you know what, this show is very slowly getting better, because I think that's my feeling on it. Uh, I still think you have to ignore all of the teenage drama bullshit, all of the sort of, these people have been in the zombie apocalypse for 10 years and have no idea what they're doing. If you can put all that aside, which I understand is a lot to ask, but if you can, I think the show is slowly getting better because I thought this episode was a little bit better. One of the better ones of the season so far. I'm not saying it was great, but I enjoyed it more. Um, okay. I'll give that to you. All right. I, well, sort of, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that the show is slowly getting better because this might just be an outlier. It's that, it's that, you know, that, uh, the yeah. data points, uh, with a line. Mm -hmm. So the line, the consistency of the show so far has been pretty flat line in my mind. Yeah. This one is a blip above a blip. I'll give that to you, but that might just be an anomalous reading instead of a new trend. Sure. But I think last week was a little blip above as well. So for me, there's two points now and we still have, uh, three more this season if they can continue that upward trend up to the last episode 10, then, uh -huh. uh, you know, for sure the show will have been, I can say will have gotten better than I think we might hopefully are at the beginning of that right now. That's my feeling. Okay. But I accept your feeling. This one was really our Huck episode. We get flashbacks of her pre-apocalypse in the military and during the very early outbreak uh, essentially what happens with her is that she's a Marine and she's involved in some, you know, zombie related incidents early on when people didn't really know what was going on. 
and ultimately she's ordered to kill all of the targets wherever they are, you know, living, civilian, dead, whatever, hostile, friendly, whatever. And Huck refuses to do this. And instead of just not doing it, she instead kills all of her fellow Marines because I guess they're about to fire on these innocent people. So that's her sort of tragic backstory. Meanwhile, in the present, the gang um, spends the night somewhere mostly talking, but then they move on to a, well, talking and playing truth or dare, and then they move on to a Civic Republic fuel depot to search the place uh, for fuel because Hornberger says that they're going to get gas. They've been taking gas from these places and they can travel a lot quicker, of course, when they have gas for cars. Um, and they go in and search the place, you know, in groups of two, similar to what they did in the school a couple of episodes ago. So explain the maps to me. I didn't quite catch that. The maps? The maps. So they have this map and they can overlay something on it that tells them where the shit is. How does that work? Yeah. Um, how does it work? That's a really good question. But what Hornberger says, and I should call him by his uh, character name in this, not on 30 no. Rock. <laughs> Declined. <laughs> okay, fine. Um, Pete. I'll, go, I'll accept Pete, but that's right. it. Well, yeah. He says they have these maps and you put colored filters over them, shine a light through it, and it reveals information on the map. That's sort of one, I guess, how these maps are coded, because if we're going to talk about the maps first, you know, this is a um, important point to this episode. It looks like there's nothing. And the one that uh, Iris has from um, uh, Lieutenant Commander, not Lieutenant Commander, but Kublik, the CRM leader. Yep. It was apparently encoded. She didn't really know how to read it. But now they do, and they've figured out that the research look, uh, the research facility where their dad is, is in Ithaca, New York. So now they have a destination. But as for how far the how the maps work, all I understand is colored filters, like you put over spotlights, you know, pointing uh -huh. at a stage, shine light through it, and it reveals something on the map. Okay, so it's like a three D movie. You have you put on the three D glasses. One of them is red. One of them is green or blue. Yeah. And then you look at it and it, it shows the green and blue lines or the red and blue lines offset. Uh, and then you can see it in 3d. Is that how that works? Okay. That's how the, the, that's how that worked. Yes. Okay. I don't think they do that anymore. They use polarized light for, or the, uh, the flashing, um, lenses that go on and off in sync with the, in time with the video or the movie. I don't know. Polarized. Anyway. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So that helps. I didn't quite understand this uh, at first. It's just like you're shining a light, but the light, in, it looks like it's a hologram because the, uh, the blue or the different colored, uh, areas on the map look like they moved around the background of the map. So I was like, well, how the hell does that work? No, Are I think, I think they were just positioning the maps over top of each other and the light revealed the markers and they just had to get them in the right spots, something like that. All right. So it revealed okay, the good. locations. It revealed the locations of not only the research facility, but also the, the uh, fuel caches, right? So they knew where to go to get fuel. Uh, the other thing we learned from Hornberger is that, or actually Percy says this, he says that they all have helicopter landing pads and they are unmanned. The helicopters fly in, refuel, and leave. 
which seems right. awfully convenient for our characters and awfully ridiculous on the part of the CRM to not have like at least one guy there guarding the place, right? Just leave them unmanned, kind of careless. It is, well, we know that from uh, uh, even Fear the Walking Dead, that these these depots are unmanned. They're just supply drops, mm-hmm. right? But, but we've also talked about how they make no fucking sense at all, uh, <laughs> why they would, you know, at some point you have to, drop off the supplies. And if you don't have a helicopter to drop off the supplies, you'd need a truck to drop off the supplies. So the helicopter can resupply and make sure that the pilots of these helicopters have beer. Yeah. It's all very loose. Because it's important to have beer. I recognize that (laughs) now more so than ever. I've been drinking more beer now than I ever have in my whole life, which is like a half a beer a night. A few nights in a row. Whoa. Anyway, whoa. It is whoa. It's more, it's, yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, these supply depots don't make any sense, but they also, uh, the supply depot, the fuel cache that they go to is underground, which is kind of hard for a helicopter to get to. Well, it lands on top, right? And guys go in, get the fuel, bring it out. I don't know. The last one, they put everything on top of a building so the helicopter could land. Yeah. Uh, you know, why would you put it in the, and the other one we saw was just in like a fenced off area. So why would you put it underground? It just, the helicopter can't just land and then take off. They got to land and then do a ground excursion to get the shit and then they can take off again. It didn't make any sense. Well, I don't know. I didn't worry about it. I'm like, they're all going to be different. Some are underground, some are on the top of buildings. They're mixing it up. That's the way I see it. Yeah. Well, I would think that it would be next to areas, like right at the areas that a helicopter could land. I guess. Okay. Well, the helicopter lands, they go in, they come out. Seems okay to me, but anyways, um, the point is they're all over the place. Our characters know where they are so they can hop from one to the other, refuel their trucks, and they can get to New York in days instead of months, I think is what Felix says, right? Or maybe weeks. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's kind of pedestrian to encode maps with like just colored filters on them, right? <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't it be better to have a map with like a list of encoded numbers on the side and then the numbers correspond to the map locations and then you need a one-time pad or, you know, uh, an encryption key of some kind in order to read the numbers yeah. uh, instead of just like, oh, if I shine a blue light on this, I can see everything. Yeah. It's kind of pedestrian. The other thing that happens though, is they, they come across a CRM notebook that looks to be full of some kind of code, right? The girls are looking at this. And they determine that's code and they simply say they've, they want to crack the code so they can find out more about them. Right. I laughed out loud. It's yeah. I don't know where that's going to go other than they're probably going to crack the code and get all this information. I mean, for fuck's sakes, man, we have some pretty sophisticated codes nowadays, uh, and encryption that we could use. I mean, if it was a simple substitution cipher, I could see them cracking the code. It's like, oh, that's an L. You know, or hey, that repeats so many times, I'm pretty sure that's an E. Or, uh, you know, you look at it and you go, okay, these two symbols are together a lot. That's probably either a double L or, you know, that's how they cracked the, uh, not cracked, but that's how they deciphered the uh, Zodiac Killers ciphers that he sent ah, to the papers. Right. They just, they, you know, published it in the papers and then people went home and over their Sunday morning coffee, they sat down and went, oh, these two symbols are together a lot. I bet you he uses the word kill a number of times in here. And, uh, I bet you that's a double L. And then they just, from there, it was just 
trial and error until they figured out the substitution pattern. Yeah, well, if you know the double L, you, then you know the K and the I, and then you put those in other places and you just start figuring it out, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Okay, so. well, I think the If girls- it was that simple, if it was that simple, I could see a bunch of people getting together and doing it. But if it was written down using any kind of, uh, you know, AES 256-bit encryption, <laughs> they're fucked, right? Like, they're totally, you can't just sit down and go, all right, I need more coffee. No. And then figure it out. <laughs> Not that is for sure. So, <laughs> anyways, I think the girls are going to figure it out. Oh, of course, and because you know, the it's just it's dumb because right? it's dumb. <laughs> well, let's jump back for a minute. So, did you notice the product placement in this episode? Oh my god! Oh, it was so annoying. Oh, I haven't seen a Mountain Dew in such a long time. I used to drink these a lot. These are great. Let me drink this the number of times with the label sticking out. Uh huh. Yep. It was so annoying. I mean, granted, the last time I saw this, it was a Dr. Pepper. What episode? Was that an episode of The Walking Dead? Uh, or was it some other show that it was a Dr. Pepper? No. General consensus is The Walking Dead. This is the only the second time on any of the three shows they've done that sort of blatant product placement. The first time was the car, the Hyundai, Fucking way back Hyundai. in season two or three or whatever that was. Of that the was major. a beautiful car. It was season two. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> it stuck around for a while. It was always clean, you know, and never ran yeah. over any zombies or anything, or maybe it did. I don't know, but. It, you could always get away in it. Yeah. Always get away. So that was the first time Mountain Dew in this one was the second time. And you're right. It was kind of tedious. I don't know why they need to do that other than money. The only acceptable product placement I've ever seen in my life, and this is questionable, and usually I don't notice it, uh, is Snapple in uh, 30 Rock. Because they are so, it's so in your face and they actually had, uh, you know, they mock it, right? right. They mock the fact right, that right, uh, right. that Snapple is a sponsor and they kind of, uh, they bring it up as if, you know, tongue in cheek, we know that this is a sponsor kind of thing and so they make fun of it and that's the only acceptable one that i've ever encountered usually i my brain just kind of doesn't pay attention to that kind of thing unless it's pointed out to me sure but you know the show itself was kind of enough to fucking point it out to me that this was product placement yeah it's like and then he opened it and it didn't even fizz like it didn't go or nothing it just like he was all of a sudden he was drinking it i'm like that's gotta suck snapple's not carbonated not snapple this was this was mountain dew right in this case yeah you're right in this case there was no when it opens, well, like, oh, I found it. And anyway. It, it's, I mean, come on. There's no way that would last 10 years, right? Especially in a I don't know. plastic bottle. From what I, I think cans last a little bit longer, but not 10 years. I well, the plastic bottle. Anyways. It damn was, it. I'm going to go out and buy a fucking Mountain Dew and then store it for 10 years and we'll see. <laughs> check, check with me in 10 years. No problem. I got it. And not, not that I want to buy a Mountain Dew for any reason. Other than keeping it for 10 years. Wow, well, not even that. Yeah. Uh, maybe I could steal one. I'm not, I don't want to give him money, you know? <laughs> don't do that. Somebody <laughs> buy a Mountain Dew, send it to Jason. <laughs> oh, no, I'll just go steal one. It's fine. Oh, great. He's not here next week because he's in jail. <laughs> oh, overnight. yeah, right. Because they're going to arrest me for stealing a goddamn Mountain Dew. <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk about something you were pretty much dead on with, though? Uh, Yeah, I love that. All right, so they what? played truth or dare in this episode, and we speculated last week, maybe the whole Elton's mom secret is going to come out during truth or dare, and you said it'll almost come out, and then it won't. And well, yeah. by darn it, look what happened in this episode. The truth almost came out, but it didn't at the last moment. But it kind of did, though. She did tell somebody. 
right? She told what's her eyebrows. She told Huck, but yeah. that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about Elton finding out that Hope killed his mom. Yes, but at least Huck had the same advice I did. It's like, can you do anything about it? No. Then shut the fuck up. You know, it's not going to help him. Yep. Don't tell him. You're yeah. going to, you're going to have to eat the truth for, uh, for him. Yep. I think Huck sort of says it'll just cause more pain than anything. And if you do it, you'll be doing it for selfish reasons, not, not thinking about Elton's feelings. You'll be doing it to like get that weight off your own shoulders. Right. And Huck says, no, just keep it to yourself. You have to, you have to wait where, uh, you have to carry that. Yeah, absolutely. So, Good advice. So I'm just saying, Jason, you were absolutely 100% right on all of this stuff. And uh, there you go. Look at you. This show is transparent. <laughs> okay, maybe. <laughs> uh, now, how about the funny reference during one of Huck's flashbacks? One of her army buddies says, you know, they're talking about the zombie virus or whatever. And he says, I heard it came back on a rocket. It started in space. Somebody got it on, somebody then got on a plane. And this of course is a reference to Robert Kirkman joking about the virus coming from space. So good well, on world beyond. Yes. And that's an old, that's an old trope. Even the, uh, uh, the old timey zombie movies, they alluded to it came from space. Well, yeah, I know, but Kirkman's specifically joked about that and it's never come up anywhere until now they put it in the show. I thought it was kind of goofy. It was kind of goofy. It's, and it was the same, uh, even, uh, Shaun of the Dead had a space reference, right? Yeah. It was a space reference and the cause for that. So yeah, it's absolutely comes from space. Yeah. The totally. Andromeda strain, my friend. There you go. So... I think the show has been doing something very subtly over the last few episodes, but way less subtly in this one. They're, tell me if I'm wrong here, Jason, they seem to be fostering little crushes between our sort of main characters. One of them very obviously, but uh, one of them also, I think, you know, Elton and Hope have a bit of a thing going there, or at least Elton is crushing on her a little bit, it seems like. Not, yep. not that that was a big part of this episode, but I do think it's important in the grand scheme because of the secret that she holds, right? Uh, so if it ever does come out, it's going to be even more devastating because he's in love with her. I don't know how that's going to go, but for this well, episode- I know exactly how it's going to go. Of course go you ahead. do. Of course you do. I was going to say for this episode, you know, Silas and Iris, he's obviously got a thing for her- they show it multiple times in this episode because Percy becomes very flirty with Iris. He sets up the stupid back of the truck louvre for her with the, all the artwork. Um, and that of course leads us to the end of this episode when, uh, she finds Hornberger dead with his face yeah. peeled off or bashed in. And then, Hiding on the scene is Silas and his, his big uh, wrench weapon is there. So we are led to believe that he went, flew into a jealous rage and killed Hornberger. Um, well, he was obviously very upset. He, he was clearly upset, but he also has a bottle behind, beside him. He appears to be drunk. So not only did he kill the dude, he's also drunk, which throws questions in the mix. But really the main question is, did he do it? 
did Silas kill Hornberger? What do you think? Of course not. No, I don't think so either. <laughs> <laughs> so simply put, of course he did not. He found him. He's very upset by finding him. Uh, he may have even uh, used his big wrench to beat off. Who? Sorry, uh, to whack. No, it's not going well at all. Uh, to hit the uh, assailant a couple of times uh-huh. and make him run off. Uh, so, uh, but I don't think that he is responsible for Hornberger's death. No, I don't think so either. But there are some questions. Is Percy dead too? Because he wasn't there. And you would think he would have shown up at the little art gallery he set up, but he never did because we find... Uh, Iris had fallen asleep there and he was never around. He goes, she goes looking for him and then comes across Hornberger's body. So where is he? Why is he not around? Is like, I don't think he would have killed his uncle, but what's the deal? Is he dead too? I don't think he's dead. I don't think he should have left the van there with all those lit candles unattended. And I don't think she should have fallen asleep. Candles are dangerous. I know. People don't (laughs) go to sleep. With lit candles around. It's not good. No, I understand. People light their beds on fire all the time with candles and cigarettes. Light light candles, that's fine. Smoke cigarettes, you know, good on you. But, you know, don't fall asleep with lit candles or cigarettes. I know somebody who fell asleep with a lit cigarette and uh, she had a futon and it fell into her futon and the whole thing didn't exactly catch fire, but there was like a a glowing ember crater in her, uh, in her mattress when she woke up and she had severe smoke inhalation and couldn't talk for like two weeks. Right. Uh, and had to basically fumigate her whole friggin' apartment. So anyway, very absolutely dangerous. dangerous. Do not smoke in bed. Do not light candles when you're sleepy. <laughs> All right. Uh, public service announcement, folks. Absolutely. Now they got lucky but, on the show that none of this happened. So where's well, Percy? Yeah. I mean, the, so I don't know where Percy is, but if Percy's going to go through the trouble of luring a girl into the back of a van, uh, at least be there when it happens, right? Uh-huh. So, because it's also kind of creepy. It's like, oh, meet me at the back of the van in an hour. Like, well, why? It's like, oh, I want my gloves. Well, here's your gloves. Like, no, meet me in the back of the van in an hour. I, I understand. Oh, isn't, isn't that wonderful? I think that's a great idea. I'm going to go meet this strange guy who... You know, initially tried to uh, scam us and steal all our stuff. But anyway, I'm going to go meet him in the back of the van in an hour, and it's going to be great. I love And then he doesn't show up. Yeah, that's weird. That's the weird part, for sure. And that's what I'm trying to get to, the where is he and what's he doing. I understand your point about him being a little creepy, but these are teenagers. Think of them as teenagers. They're super awkward. They just want to make out for a while. You know, come back to the back seat of my van you know, it'll be a good time. That's the kind of thing a teenage boy would do, I think. Anyways. It is. You'd probably get a lot farther as I'm just going to, I'll get to your point. I haven't forgotten your point. Okay. But just as, you know, to advice to any teenage boys out there, especially to me as a teenage boy way back in the day, I wish I would have taken this advice. If you like someone and you want to make out with them, tell them. I like you a lot. I think we should make out. You'll probably get a lot farther than, hey, meet me in the back of my van in an hour. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Good point. Yeah, good point. So just, you know, be upfront, be honest, be uh, confident. Uh, People find confidence very attractive. 
I don't know why, but they do. Okay. Well, <laughs> and I wish I would have known that. Anyway. Right. Teenage dating tips from Jason. We'll get a new one each week. Where is Percy? <laughs> yeah. So. I don't know. He's he's not dead. I don't think he's dead. No, he's not dead. I just don't know where he is or like maybe he's tied up somewhere else. But the question is then, who killed Hornberger? And, and is Hornberger dead or just uh, doing a magic trick? Well. Is it, a, is it an illusion? Is it someone, we've already seen other people that have found zombies that kind of look like them and then dress them up in order to play dead. I know. Other is show. that what Hornberger's doing here? Yeah. Is he, did he find a zombie, dressed him up in the clothes, bash his face in? Because they hit him in the face with a shovel with a bag on his head, right? In uh-huh. order to obscure the facial features. This zombie or this person that's lying dead on the floor has very obscured facial features. Very weird. Good point. I don't, I don't think it's Hornberg. I don't necessarily think it's Hornberg. Okay. Well, that explains nothing. Um, but you're <laughs> right. Maybe it's not Hornberger. I think it is. And I'm bummed that that guy, Scott, Adsit, is not on the show anymore because he's had his face bashed in. Um, but I think all of this boils down to, number one, um, Silas didn't do it. Silas is maybe being framed for it. But then who is framing him? And Percy is missing, uh, but Percy didn't do it either. Or Hornberger died, became a zombie, attacked him, mm. and he had to defend himself. And he's very upset by this. That's because true. Because we know he doesn't like to attack even zombies. He doesn't like to attack anybody. Mm-hmm. But no, So maybe that's why he's upset. That's a good point. That could be it too. Um, but still, there are so many questions here. Um, how did he die then? If somebody else is involved, who is that somebody else? Uh, you know, the only other person in this episode was the dude that Huck and Hope found down in the basement when they were looking for fuel. Um, that dude, right? He was there. He just kind of appeared out of nowhere, got a gun to Hope's head. What the hell was he doing? Are there more of him? Is he involved in that, uh, in that scene, like he was, I think, dead before this happened. But are there he more? Was, yeah. But are there more people with him that could be involved in this? I don't know. He's the only guy that we don't really know anything about. So there's a lot of things up in the air here. Yeah. People are like cockroaches. If you see one, there's probably a bunch more. <laughs> there's probably more. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So it's, um, it's, it's interesting. Now, this is where the whole bite amputation thing comes in related to, you know, fear as well. This dude's being bit and um, Hope, while trying to talk him down and let, not Hope, Huck, trying to talk him down and let Hope go, she says that she's seen people survive amputations even hours after being bit, right? Yep. Uh, and that's one of the things that gets him to release Hope and then... Uh, you know, it doesn't go so well for him after that. But um, it's, this is where I thought like World Beyond is being used to remind audiences of amputations and stuff like that because they're about to watch it in, in fear and they got to remember. And this is a weird overlap between the shows. So Fear Beyond uh, airs first. Um, well, technically no, but. Sorry, so- did I say Fear Beyond? Yeah. Like I meant World Beyond. Right. So, you know, technically Fear Beyond does air first because they're, the same show. Yeah. Anyway, uh, World Beyond airs first and then fear. 
technically no. I think on Sunday night, beer airs at nine and World Beyond ends at airs at ten. I would have to, I would not stake my life on that though. However, I will stake my life on the fact that World Beyond is released early on AMC's streaming platform the Friday or the Thursday before. So it's available to subscribers of that service ahead of time. That's it's the same kind of thing as the uh as the scam that they were trying to that uh, Percy and um Pete Hornberger were trying to do on our, our intrepid heroes. There's a lot of things that got to, that has to go exactly right in order for that to happen. What I'm talking about is having these two uh, episodes that both have amputations in them mm-hmm. uh, airing on the same night in order to have that reminder. So that I have that, uh, first of all, you say that somebody has to watch this on their streaming service first and be such a fan that they would watch Fear the Walking Dead afterwards. Plus, they have to write these episodes and coordinate that these two episodes will air at the on the same day or in that order in order to have that uh, uh, that reminder in the people's minds. And uh, you know, production schedules can change. Of course, and, they can be impacted by a global pandemic. Right, all kinds of things yeah, can happen. There's just there's a lot that has to go right I, for that not to be a coincidence. I just don't think that that is so far outside the realm of possibility as much as like the scam on the show was last week. But like, I think they could have pulled this off. And even if you watch fear first and then world beyond just Sunday night, right? You get, you get amputation information in both of them. So it's on your mind no matter what. And I don't think it's all that crazy to think that they, they, um, air these at the same time and even overlap in the writing a little bit. It's, you know, they have one guy who is supposed to keep track of the entire Walking Dead universe. They've, all these shows have common producers, right? It's not like it's completely different, separate teams. Uh, all right, I'm calling Scott Gimple. There are directors. I'm just going to call him and ask. Yeah, let's, I would, I would love to do that. But there are directors that, you know, do multiple shows. Writers have moved around a little bit, so... I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility, but we've talked about it for too long anyways. So <laughs> it's just one of those All things. Right. Fair enough. My point originally was that dude, we don't know anything about him. Maybe he's involved in this whole Hornburger killing and Silas problem. So I don't know what's going to happen, but I am very curious. Uh, Silas, we know has a background of violence. Yep. But would he do this, you know, over a girl? Well, not without a re- not over a girl. I don't think he would do this over a girl. Yeah. Well, he was drunk though. Ah, oh, god damn it. See, they they put too many too many question marks on this. Yeah. Well, they'll right? sort out. It, is it Hornberger? Did he do it? Was he drunk? Was he jealous? Uh, you know, there's uh there's a lot of uh pieces here that we don't know the answers to. Very yeah, you're you're absolutely right. We need a professional investigator to get in there and start asking questions. We certainly or, do. We need to wait till next week until they answer everything for us. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I know which one we're going to go with. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. No post credit scene this week. No more, you know, direct information about the CRM, but we did get that Ugh. notebook of code um, and uh, some information on these hidden fuel caches, but not a ton more information. Thank God on the uh, post credit, no post credit scene because I forgot to watch. Till the end, I'm like, okay, thank God that's over and shut it off. Okay, good. Well, I'll continue <laughs> to try to remind you if there are scenes after the credits. 
Yeah, I'll try. I continue to try and remember, but there's no guarantee. Very good. All right. I have uh, one call here from Gray. Hi, guys. This is Gray over in Bournemouth, England. I've never actually sent a message to you guys before, despite having listened for years. Uh, but I thought it was about time because I noticed something a little bit interesting at the very beginning of this week's uh, Well Beyond. And that is a possible throwback to season three of Fear the Walking Dead. If you listen very carefully during the dream sequence, there's a kind of distorted version of Stand By Me, which we last heard when Troy's father was killed in fear. And it got me wondering, the experiments that Troy was doing back when we first met him, testing to see how long it would take for walkers to turn, etc., was that possibly something for CRM? Was he reporting back to them? Or am I just trying to find some reason for this dead squib of a spin-off? Anyway, I'd love to know your thoughts. Keep up the good work, guys. Listen to you every week. Love the show. Cheers. Bye. Thank you so much, Gray. And first of all, uh, you know, for a first-time caller, fantastic. Feel free to do it anytime. So I went back to the opening scene of this episode of World Beyond, turned on the closed captioning, watched it again. It's this, it's this dream sequence of uh, Huck in the bar, right? The jukebox is playing. And unfortunately, this song that's playing is not Stand By Me because some of the lyrics are, cre- are in the closed captioning here. And it's, it's, it's not the same song. I also went back and watched that scene in Fear from season three, episode eight. It was called Children of Wrath. And Nick kills Jeremiah in that scene. Uh, and that for sure was Stand By Me. It's much more prominent in the episode and it's a cover by somebody and it's very, very interesting. The song played in this episode of World Beyond at the beginning. It's hard to hear, but with the lyrics, I was able to figure out that it was a tune called What's On Your Mind by Information Society. And it's also playing later on in this episode during the darts scene where Huck throws a dart blindfolded. Uh, And if you were paying attention, you already heard this song earlier in this podcast too. So um, that's kind of fun. But the point is, it's not the same song. um, So I don't think it's a reference back. But Gray did remind me that um, uh, What's-His-Face on Fear was, was doing some experiments and at least interested in that sort of thing. So is it a CRM connection? I'd be surprised but you never know what they could retcon on this show. And I love the idea <laughs> of it, right? So right. good stuff. Who knows? Maybe we'll find out more. The caller, what was his name? Gray. Gray. Uh, he used the, uh, the phrase dead squib. Uh-huh. But I've heard, uh, I've heard the phrase, phrase damp squib uh, like five or six times. I just learned it like three weeks ago, huh. what that means. And I've heard it like almost every day since then. And I assume that it's the same kind of uh, same kind of phrase. Phrase like you know a squib. You know what a squib is? Uh, yeah, uh, it's like the, a blood pack, right? Uh, and that explodes in a damp squib is one that doesn't work. It's like something that is anticipated but is a complete letdown. Oh well, it's kind of accurate then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what I was gonna say is going back to watch that season or that episode of Fear, at least that part of it. God damn, I was reminded about how awesome Kim Dickens was. The scene was amazing and uh, she was amazing. So it's too bad 
that she was killed off of this show. And if there are any truth to the speculation that she's coming back and she's not dead, I'm kind of on board with that now because watching that going back, I was like, man, she's good. I would, I would like to see her on screen on the show again. Is there any speculation other than mine? Oh yeah. There's plenty of speculation. Is there? Yeah. Because we still don't know who saved Morgan on fear. Right. And so really good idea. So maybe it's Madison. That would be awesome. Well, I don't know if it would be awesome, but after watching her now, after, Having not seen her for a bit, I'm kind of all excited about Madison. I still think it's Dakota, like we speculated a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I think that makes more sense. But anyway, I want it to be Madison, though. Kim Dickens, awesome. Maybe it's Madison. And uh, go back and watch season three of Fear. Some of it, people. It was uh, it was pretty cool. Cool. All right. Well, that covers Walking Dead: World Beyond, Truth or Dare, and that brings us to pretty much the end of this podcast. Now, coming up next week, we have two more episodes of both shows. It's Fear the Walking Dead, Season 6, Episode 7. It's called Damage from the Inside, and it is the mid-season finale, even though it's only Episode 7. So there's just one more on Fear uh, for a while. But uh, along with that, we've got World Beyond, Episode 8. It's called The Sky is a Graveyard. Um and then the week after that, it's the final two episodes of World Beyond, and then we will have no Walking Dead on our TV for a little while. So um, that's what's coming up in the next two weeks. Cool. So in the meantime, everyone, if you would like to get in touch, absolutely visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Dead, where I sometimes post news that I don't consider spoilery. Uh, you can also visit our website if you want at talkingdeadpodcast.com. Click on send voicemail at the top and you can record a message to send in to us. We love getting audio messages from people, this being an audio podcast after all. And um, if you want to email us, you can do that at talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. All right, we'll be back next week with more fear and more world beyond and who knows what else. So until then... Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. My name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Toodle. Toodle.